Would you pray with me? Lord, we seek You. We seek You in prayer right now and we seek You through Your Holy Word. We're grateful for the promise of Scripture, Lord, that those who look to You are radiant in their faces shall never be ashamed. Lord, I believe that the preaching of Your Word is a mystery. Your Word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Pierces to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So in light of this truth, Lord, please help me preach this psalm this morning. And by Your Spirit, would You please use it in each of our lives to conform us more and more into the image of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, join me in Psalm chapter 34. I'm going to read the entire psalm. It's, it's 22 verses, but we're only going to look at the first eight verses together this morning, concluding this talk or this time in this psalm next Sunday morning. I hope you'll join me again for that. This is the word of the Lord as written by David, inspired by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant in their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many, good, many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord for us, His people. May He write it indelibly on our hearts. Well, I'm going to walk us through this, and I must confess that just this weekend decided to condense this into the first eight verses so as to be able to deal with the second half next week, which deals solely with uh, David's instruction to children of how to walk in the fear of the Lord. So we'll, 
we'll address that next time. But for now, we're going to deal with his testimony, which occurs in verses 1 through 8. And to do so, I want us to zoom in on the context from the title of this psalm. I didn't include the title when I read through this psalm, but it, it is necessary for us not only to note it, but to dedicate some valuable time this morning to look at it. As it relates to the entire psalm, in some ways the first half of this psalm is like a back and forth ping pong match. You know, you're, you're whacking back and forth with each other. One moment David is erupting in praise for the fact that in his time of grave trouble, his time of grave affliction, David sought the Lord and God answered him. But then in the next moment, he encourages his listeners and, and frankly readers from generations on to join him in magnifying the Lord to taste and to see for themselves that the Lord is good. The fact that Psalm 34 is written after David's affliction makes it perfect, makes it the perfect psalm for you and I to go to before any of ours. And they come. The title before verse 1 says this, and you can see this, right? I don't mean the title of the sermon or even the title of the chapter given by editors, but what the psalmist has given here as the title of the sermon. You'll find it more than likely in all caps right before verse 1 begins. But it says this, A psalm of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. Now that story can be found in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 10 through 15. And I'd like for you to turn there with me um, so that we can read through it together. But as you're turning there, allow me to point out just a couple of more things establishing a timeline as we look to the context to inform us about the glorious nature in teaching from Psalm chapter 34. So things that we know are going on. Saul is still the king of Israel, but God has already led Samuel to anoint David as king. David has already faced Goliath, a nine and a half foot tall Philistine champion from the country of Gath or the area of Gath. He killed Goliath. He got off his head and he took his sword. And as a result of that and the other things that are going to come about um, as a result. Of, hey, would you like for me to use this so we can get rid of that echo? Um, thanks. So as a result of that and other monumental things that the Lord is allowing David to do within the army, um, victory-wise, David's fame and his might has risen among the people, so much so that songs are being written about him and sung throughout the land. I mean widely sung. Uh, songs with lines like this. I'd like for Rich to kind of put this to music for us so we could maybe sing this. But Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. This is not putting David on the popular list from the megalomaniac King Saul. Um, in fact, David is 
realizing that he's going to have to live on the run to avoid what Saul wants to do to him, and that's to put him to death. So Saul wants to kill David, and David flees. David fled the country, and during his escape, there's some stops he makes along the way. He sought help from a priest who gave him some old bread and Goliath's sword, which had been stored behind the ephod in the temple where he was. And he blinds from that temple spot to a place that proved to be potentially fatal. It's important that you remember, young and old alike in this room, that Goliath was from a place called Gath. And it's with all of that being said that we turn our attention to the title of the psalm, which takes us to this place that we're going to read together, 1 Samuel chapter 21. And I was talking and not turning, forgive me. 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 10 through 15. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. I will just add a point of clarification. If, if people were to refer to me as pastor, that would be a correct thing. And if they didn't know me, it might be a confusing thing if others of you who knew me on a more personal level referred to me as Chris, right? It'd be the same thing. Neither would be incorrect. So the title of our psalm uses the term Abimelech, which would, be, would have been more of a title name akin to like Pharaoh. But 1 Samuel chapter 21 uses the word Achish, which would have been a personal name for the same thing that's referenced here in Psalm 34. I don't, you might not have even saw, seen that, but I don't want it to be a confusion to you. Verse 10. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is, 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 is this not the king of the, David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Even the people of this foreign land are recognizing David as king, even though Saul still exists as king. His fame and his might had risen such that even foreign powers are recognizing him. Not to mention that this is the homeland of their champion, whom David as a boy killed with a sling. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. It's hidden hard for us to understand that he's gone to this place to kind of fade into the woodwork, to hide, to escape from Saul, having wanted to leave Israel, but not wanting to go too far. So he comes to the first place that he comes to, and that's this area. And the people of the land recognize him and say, isn't this David? They take him to the king and assuming that the king's going to do what he would do to his worst enemy, put him to death, right? Notice what happens. Verse 13. So he, David, he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see that this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? 
Shall this fellow come into my house? So in other words, don't I have enough crazy people around here? Are you going to bring him into here too? He's clearly harmless. Let's get rid of him. Verse 1 and 2 of the next chapter, or verse 1 anyway, tells us where David goes from there. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to meet him. You can go back to Psalm 34, and as you do, I'll say a couple things. Given the title of this psalm, I believe that this was that it was in this cave, this cave of Adullam, where he found his escape from King Achish, where David was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write Psalm chapter 34. It's fresh off the heels of maybe one of his greatest fears um, because it came at such a weak moment in time in his life. I will tell you that it's a psalm that has meant a great deal to me in my life. It may contain favorite verses of your, many of you within it, but I, I want you to see it as a whole through the lens of this context because it's much more than the sum total of its parts. As I hope this morning, you too will taste and see as a result for yourself and agree. So to begin with, I want to offer four words from David's testimony that fueled his praise with the hope that it will fuel ours as well. The first two words that I point out come from verse 4. Those words are answered and delivered. Answered and delivered. Here's what he said in verse 4 of chapter 34 of Psalm. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. It's imperative with every verse we read from Psalm 34 that you remember where He is and where he's just come from, and who is surrounding him. His family and everyone that learned that he was there so he could, they could come to him. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. God had answered David. God had delivered David. David had sought the Lord. He'd cried out to the Lord and God answered his cry by delivering him from his gripping fear that this affliction was going to lead to his death. His deliverance, however, as he makes clear in um, just by referencing that historical context, his deliverance was nothing shy of miraculous. Think about what happened. The Lord, in whose hands is the king's heart, miraculously made Achish or Abimelech indifferent respecting David. This is rather phenomenal. And this is nothing shy of the hand of the Lord. So this is, what I want to do for a moment is just remind you in light of this and why we're not making it the whole way through the psalm. This is not only a reminder for us of God's power to deliver, which is great, but also His sovereignty. It is a timely reminder for us, given this week's headlines. War in the Ukraine. Head-scratching directions taken by our government. 
tragedy in Texas. It is a timely reminder for us, given this week's headlines, even in light of disappointing discoveries in our own denomination. It is good for us in the midst of whatever affliction surround us to remind ourselves of the sovereign hand of God. Even this truth that Proverbs 21 says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. We need look no further than this narrative right here where David's escape was made specifically and expressly by the hand of God. We need look no further from that narrative to see this demonstrated. So I will add that as part of the testimony that David shared in his psalm, and probably in that cave, think about those who are surrounding him in that cave, and he's, he's, he's sharing his praise and this teaching to those all around him. He doesn't point out to the fact that God delivered him from the sword of the king. He points out the fact that the Lord delivered him from all his fears. He did deliver him from the sword, but what David chose to put in his in the psalm by God's grace and the Holy Spirit's inspiration is that the Lord delivered him from all his fears. Fear paralyzes. Faith mobilizes. Remember this the next time that you're stuck in your tracks at the reception of bad news. Remember this the next time you're tempted to think that the current events on our news provide more evidence that God isn't in control than He is. Remember this the next time and you can fill in the blank here. But it is the truth most worthy of our remembrance. And David, when he's retelling this in this cave with family and, and others surrounding him, he makes it clear that the Lord delivered him out of his fears. Like David, there are going to be times when we walk by great faith. Think of his previous experience when he sees the champion Goliath mocking God and making a mockery of the armies of the Lord Most High and believing that God who delivered him from the paw of the, the bear and the paw of the lion would do the same against an enemy of the Lord. There are going to be times when we walk by great faith and then others, much like he probably experienced when fear gripped him in Gath. And he takes matters into his own hands and acts like a crazy man to escape. There will be those times when um, our faith is relatively non-existent. This side of heaven, you and I will never have arrived with an unshakable faith. We're all in the process of Him growing our faith. And we, we must submit to and trust in the sanctifying work of the Spirit in our lives. Jesus Himself said, 
Faith, I'm sorry, Paul said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We must, as a people, prioritize our private time in the word and our public gathering to worship, sitting under the preaching of his word, because tasting and seeing involves taking in the truths of the full revelation of Jesus we find in his word. May God grow our faith so that we can confidently know in the midst of afflictions or in the midst of everyday walking and living that when we seek the Lord, He answers. And He is able to deliver us from all our fears. For the next two words I want to offer this morning, I draw your attention to verse 6. We've seen God answered We've seen God delivered. Now verse 6. I want you to see these words. God heard David and God had saved David. Heard and saved. Admittedly, these two words are very similar to what David used in verse 4. And and frankly, I think that's his point. Certainly the point that I don't want us to miss this morning. David is stressing that it wasn't because of any special characteristic or frankly anything special about him that made God answer, hear, deliver, or save him. He wanted all those that would be singing this psalm, all of those that were reading this psalm, all those that were sitting in that cave to know that they have access to God through prayer. Visualize him sharing this testimony in this cave fresh on the hills of having seen God deliver him mightily, saying, this poor man, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him. I invite you to turn from Psalm 34 to Psalm 102 for just a moment. Psalm 102 is yet another psalm with a title. This one not ascribed to David, but it confirms... That it's not only the spiritual giant to whom God listens, but also to the destitute. Psalm 102, verses 16 and 17. There you'll find these words. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in His glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Before you jump back to 34, allow your eyes to glance up at the title of this psalm. Just in case we're tempted to think that only David had the ear of the Lord. The title of Psalm 102 says, A prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. This includes me. This includes you. But it comes with this invitation, this reminder, this encouragement. Pour out your heart before the Lord. He does not despise your prayer. This truth, this fact, seems to ignite David to praise and to encourage others to join him. So here's where that ping pong volley is going back and forth, right? Notice the praise 
from David's heart. You'll find it in the first three verses of our psalm, Psalm 34. Praise from God's heart, verses 1 through 3. Let me just read all three verses again. I will bless the Lord at all times, he writes. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. And then this invitation, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I think one person that has been instrumental in my wife's growth, I won't say most, but a lot through the readings of her books is a lady by the name of Ann Ortland. She wrote a book among many that have uh, filled the shelves, having been read and reread and reread by my wife, was a book called Disciplines of the Beautiful Woman. And I was talking through Psalm 34 with Shan this day, and when I, when I read that verse, she said, that verse was written in letter form by Ann Ortland's then boyfriend as the proposal letter to Ann, his future wife. Imagine receiving this sentence, ladies, in maybe a letter that you receive. I don't know who proposes by letter, but he included this. These words, he said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. What a making of unity in a marriage! What a making of unity in a body! What a making of correction in a cave. I don't want to leave the praise from David's heart without pointing out three areas of his resolve. And I can imagine the trek from Gath to this place that he finds to kind of be alone with the Lord before people find him there. Um, was a place where the Lord began to deal with his heart and he resolved to do some new things, right? The first that I point out comes from verse 1. David resolved to praise the Lord. His praise shall continually be in my mouth, he says. It's difficult to complain. Deceive, which the second half of this psalm will say. Um, uh, keep your lips from evil and your Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. It's difficult to complain. It's difficult to slander against someone. It's difficult to deceive. It's difficult to use profanity or to speak ill from the mouth that is resolved. It's not impossible. It's difficult. That is resolved to have praise continually be in their mouth. Let me take this opportunity to challenge all of us. That is, we hear the words coming out of our own mouths. We're not the guards for other people's mouths, right? But I'm saying out of our own mouths. And as we hear those words and those words that make it evident that we still have a lot of room to grow in this area, let your words be that as a dashboard warning light that leads you to pray. And to confess known sin and ask God to help your tongue be used for His glory.
David would not always do this perfectly, right? A big sin is just around the corner in his life, but for in this moment, in this cave, fresh on the hills of seeing God's hand of deliverance, he says, His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And notice what it is he is praising and what he's saying. The content of David's boast was the Lord. In his flesh, David could have boasted in his cunning. He could have said, dude, there I was. People started to recognize me, took me to the king, and I knew it was over. So I put it into hyperdrive. Acted like I was crazy. Had stuff coming out. Started scratching the doorpost. Awesome. But David knew that even in his deception and cunning, it wasn't about him. It was by God's grace, the hand of the Lord that had delivered him. It wasn't his quick thinking plan to act crazy so that King Achish would let him go. But he knew it was the hand of God and his boast was rightly placed in God. The prophet Jeremiah will will say similar things in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, where he wrote, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. We are all prone and tempted to divert our attention to earthly pleasures or things that prop ourselves up. But the wise man boasts not in his wisdom, might, or riches, but boasts solely in the Lord. And David's words are this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. But that's not all he resolved to do in that cave. David resolved that others would hear him praise. He didn't put his praise out there simply to be spectated as if even that was about him. But he did say this, let the humble hear and be glad. Don't forget the setting. Don't forget the crowd. A third thing that I think he resolved to do, and and the word resolved is not in our text. I'm just drawing that based upon what he's doing at the time. But we'll see this last thing that he he resolved to encourage others to praise with him. Notice verse three. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Again, the context of this psalm really does matter. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2. You don't have to turn there, but it's the, it's the next verse in that context. It describes the group that joined David in the cave of Adullam after his escape from Gath. Here's what it says about those who came. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. 
These are broken people hearing from a restored, broken man about what's most important in life. To glorify God, join forever, and then he'll eventually get to teaching the kids in that cave what it means to fear the Lord. David wanted everyone who had flocked to him in that cave to join him in magnifying the Lord. (laughs) Whether they found themselves huddling in a cave, which they were at that moment, or two weeks down the road, or chilling at a palace. I say far-fetched, right? So our setting is not the deterrent factor, determining factor of whether we are going to resolve to praise the Lord. He wanted His posture of praise, His posture of gratitude before the Lord to be theirs, and He encouraged them to do two things themselves as they joined Him in praising God for what He had done. And this is the encouragement that I'll leave with you out of verses 5 to 8. David's encouragement that he sent them. I've, I've only taken two things out of verses 5 through 8, and I share it with you this time. Before I give you these two things for us to leave with this morning, I want to remind you how David had taken matter into his own hands in Gath. Even prior to getting to Gath. He's escaping from Saul. Before he gets to Gath, he had looked to a priest for his provision. I've already told you that priest gave him bread and the sword of Goliath. So he had looked to the priest for provision and he had looked to a sword for his protection. And he had looked to the enemy king for refuge. But from the cave of Adullam, he was able then to say on the backside of this affliction to the people that had gathered in that cave, look to him, first thing, and taste for yourself and find that he is good. So I want to suggest two things as applicational points for us as we near the end of our time together this morning. The first is this. It comes from verse 5. Look to God. Look to God. Here's what it says, verse 5. Those who look to Him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Those who look to Him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Look to God. One generation before David, there lived a lady named Hannah. Although she was loved by her husband, her heart was crushed because she was unable to bear children. One day her husband asked her, and her husband gives me hope because in spite of the fact that he and all husbands don't really ever seem to get it, it was out of a pure heart and motive that he approached Hannah with these words. And I think they're perfectly affectionate words says, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Hannah went on from that interruption with her husband to the altar of the Lord where she poured out her broken heart to God. God. 
And then the then priest, Eli, approached her, had some things to say to her, but toward the end of that conversation, during her prayer time, he blessed her, praying with her that God would grant her her petition. She had looked to God and was wonderfully revived and comforted in her heart. And I'll add, just as a side note, this is weeks, if not months, before she knew how God had chosen to intervene. She's begging the Lord at that altar for a son and even commits that future son back to Him should He grant that request. She pours out her heart to Him, looks to God, and is revived and refreshed, even though there's no child yet on the horizon. But the passage that references Hannah concludes with her prayer time coming to an end. And it says this after that prayer time. She went her way. She ate. And her face was no longer sad. From experience, his own, and history, many, not least of which might have been Hannah, David is right to say, as you are right to believe, those who look to Him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. When we look to God by faith, He looks to us and shines upon us. This is precisely the blessing that God instructed Aaron in the day of Moses to bestow upon the people. It's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And that blessing is known as the Aaronic blessing or the Aaronic benediction. And it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Look to God. Second and final thing. Look to God and, verse 8, taste and see this morning, Redeemer. Taste and see. Notice what verse 8 says. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Transcending peace and happiness is found in God. And, and thanks to the revelation of the New Testament and as a result of the New Covenant, we know that this peace and happiness, even life itself, comes through Christ. But David wanted his people to taste for themselves the goodness of God. They didn't want him, he did not want them to sit in that cave and just take it for his own testimony that God has been good to me. Join me in praise. He wanted them to seek God and to taste for themselves, thus proving His goodness. William Plummer wrote, to taste is to make proof by experience. At the risk of bringing up something that none of you will know anything about, I want to end with an explanation of a commercial from my childhood. So you must be over 50 to probably have ever seen this commercial, but it is locked into my head. It's an old commercial that advertised 
a brand new, I don't know if it's brand new or not, but it was a serial called Life. The commercial highlighted three brothers all seated around a breakfast table and they had been served a breakfast cereal for the first time that they were not too certain if it was going to be good, even worth trying. So the first bowl comes down there and they pass it to the other, each other and says, I'm not going to try it. You try it. I'm not going to try it. You try it. Anyone younger than me ever heard of this commercial, seen this commercial? And then finally, they, the two older brothers look over at a pudgy little brother and his name, Mikey, sitting there and says, give it to Mikey. He'll try it. He'll try anything. And Mikey, I think, I think his, his head's kind of in his, his hands in it, faces in his hands, and he takes a first bite of that life cereal and chews it up. Takes another, eats, takes another, eats, and then he's just shoveling away. And then they say, does anyone older than me remember? He likes it. He likes it. Mikey likes it. Commercial ends with all of them digging into their own bowls. And it was good. The gospel is not about a cereal. Psalm 34 is not a cereal commercial. But David personally had tasted and seen that God was a great deliverer. He was a great God that hears when His people calls. He was a great God that responded with deliverance from fears. And in David's case, I mean, martyrs cannot say that He delivered me from death, right? But martyrs realized even upon death that there was something greater that the Lord had in store for them. But David had tasted and seen that He is good. And this morning, knowing some of your stories, it is a joy to point you to praise the one who hears, to praise the one who answers, to praise the one who saves, to praise the one who delivers from all fears, and to remind you that even in the shakiness of our times of lacking faith, that He's growing us up to trust Him more and more. And as you're sitting in this room, thinking through the miraculous hand of God demonstrated through David, having received the miraculous hand of God, having been manifest to us through His Son Jesus, continue to look to God. That your faces may be radiant in your time of trouble. And not just to look to God, but to taste and see for yourself that He is in fact good. To the glory of His great name. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your goodness. Thank You that Your great steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting. 
Thank You that You hear when we pray. You encourage us to pray. Thank You that when we look upon Your face, our faces do not remain ashamed, but are radiant before You. Would You do a work in all of our lives, increasing our faith so we can trust and depend upon You being who You are. Not relying on our own efforts, but wholly on You. Make us a people, Lord, that enjoy praising together even when our circumstances remind us that we're sitting in a cave. Because the cave is not all there is. We live as resident strangers in a kingdom until we're face to face with You upon Your return. So Lord, until that day, help us to be people of praise and help us to be people that encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ to do the same because of our confidence in You. Thank You that we have tasted and seen. Would You revive us with a refreshing taste of Your goodness even today in Jesus' name.